Welcome to Sports and Stogies. Now, introducing your hosts, Cameron Winklewitz and Austin Hayes. You know what time it is. Pull up a chair, pour up a drink, and light that cigar. It's time for Sports and Stogies, Episode 7. Cam. Welcome back, everybody. We are always stoked to be here, and we are always stoked to record for you guys. Stoked or stoked? <laughs> Some would say we are stoked. Um, we got a pretty fun episode planned for you guys today, so just sit back, light up, and enjoy the ride. Uh, we're going to go ahead and kick off with what we are smoking and sipping on tonight. Cam, what do you have? I have a Herrera Esteli by Drew Estate. Uh, this is one of the brands we mentioned last week. Uh, so far, it's all right. Not my favorite. Getting a lot of natural tobacco and cedar. Um, not too flavorful. Definitely, probably more for your purists out there. Uh, what do you got? Well, before that, what are you sipping on? What are you pairing with that smoke? I am pairing it with some Old Smoky Salted Caramel Whiskey. So, pretty sweet. That comes in at, uh, what, 60% ABV? Give or take, yeah. And thoughts so far with that pairing? I think the sweet helps. Um because as far as the flavor of the cigar, just right off a rip here, it's a very natural flavors. So having some sweet to cleanse the palate with really helps. Now I lit up, hesitantly so, the Cohiba Weller, which was a $25 stick. And my buddies told me it was not that great. I've got at least three or four reviews that uh, were pretty negative. But so far, an inch in, great burn, great draw. Um, I'm going in blind as far as flavor notes. Um, I get a kind of a dark oak, uh, maybe a slight brown sugar, and a slight dark chocolate. But uh, I made an old-fashioned uh, to sip on throughout the show with some Knob Creek rye. Uh, for those of you out there that want to make old fashions, uh, my general strategy is I go for every shot of whiskey, I go one teaspoon of simple syrup, one dash of bitters and one cherry. Of course, throw that orange, uh, that orange slice in. Um, I think Cam will agree and contest that I have the best old fashions that, um, you can find around here. Uh, it's definitely very good. Uh, one of the best I've ever had, but again, I'm new into the industry. So as far as I'm concerned, I really like it. So tastes good. Doesn't hide the whiskey or bourbon that you use in it or mask it. It just complements it, which is solid. So Yeah, it's the main thing from an old-fashioned. Like, Of course, it's a whiskey cocktail, but you don't want to totally bury the bourbon you're using. Um, I do tend to stray towards cheaper ryes. I like a higher rye content in my old fashions. But if you use a higher price bourbon or rye, I mean, you're going to get the same results. So our first fan question for this week. 
Now, our first fan question is um, regarding the NFC and really the entire league as a whole. Are there only three teams that don't suck? Offensively, yes. Um, this is like flashback to the 1920s in the NFL year. And I'm all for it. I think when it comes down to watching the game, of course, it's, it's a lot less exciting so far, especially prime time. You know, offenses are having a lot of time struggling, moving the ball, scoring the ball. But if you like defense and strategy and good defensive schemes, like I do, I mean, I'm all in. Yeah, this is definitely the football that attests to defenses win championships. Um, kind of nice to get a switch up after so many years of pure offense just rocking away. Um Lower scoring, tighter games makes for more entertainment, in my opinion. You get to see mistakes from teams that you're not used to seeing make mistakes, which is kind of wild when you got guys like Brady, Rodgers, Mahomes, Allen, Herbert, guys that you're expecting to throw for, I don't know, what, four, three, four touchdowns a game, and their running is what's getting them to score. So... Definitely a nice change of pace and really makes you think about, hey, is my team's defensive scheme good? Like, it's really being flaunted if you have a bad scheme. Yeah, so the main thing here that I've seen and studied so far is a lot of teams have transitioned to playing cover two defense, you know, two deep safeties. And so far, offense have not quite adjusted to that. You've got um, a, a really impressive and higher regarded defensive lineman. And I think right now the overall, the average D lineman is way, way better than the average O lineman. So teams are getting to rush four and getting pressure and still getting to drop seven with ease and play coverage. And offenses have not quite adjusted to that to this point. Yeah, two safeties back really makes it harder for your guys like Chase and Tyreek Hill and those kinds of guys to get those big, flashy plays. And that's the thing. There's been almost a, a huge lack of big plays. Um, to this point, through six weeks, fantasy scoring has gone down 22% <laughs> since last year, which is a gigantic, substantial margin. Yeah, and I mean, most of your points are coming from your running backs. Unless you have Mahomes, Josh Allen, or what was Lamar Jackson, not so much anymore. Uh, those are really the only guys getting you a ton of points at QB, and it's because they have rushing upside. Hurts is basically, they just run how the Ravens should be running their offense there. Yeah, and if you watch the Philly offense compared to the current Chip Kelly UCLA offense or even when he brought the end of the league back in Philly like what 2014-15 it's the exact same offense running the ball good O-line and quick slant route passes with some play action involved that's how you're going to win in the NFL today and that's been proven with Philly with Dallas with San Fran 
these run-heavy offenses that are moving the ball, small plays, because with, with the cover two right now, you can't win with a big play. you got to put on long 10-plus play drives without fouling, with no holding or turnovers or, or sacks. And so far, only there's been four or five teams that, especially if you have, if you have a quarterback that can like avoid the rush and make a play happen, that's probably been the biggest factor in your offense moving the ball. You got guys like Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson that can avoid that four-man rush and still make time to find guys down the field. Uh, yeah. Um, we're just in a different style of NFL than we're used to right now. Um, I think a big part of that, as far as the offense versus defensive line goes, I think uh, just college ball takes the biggest effect in that. So defensive linemen are used to basically going against pure rushing as far as all your top college QBs are throwing on the run, throwing off their back foot, running for yards. Like they're hardly ever holding a pocket presence at all. And with, in my opinion, it makes it easier to blow through a pass blocking offensive line in order to get to a quarterback that's not mobile and he's just standing there waiting for you. Yeah, in college, you can pretty much run block or pass block three yards downfield. So if you're an O-lineman, a guard or a tackle, or even a center, you don't have to fall back and pass block. You can push forward. And in the NFL, that's not quite a viable option. So until the league shifts to coming back towards a, a rushing play. And right now, yards per attempt rushing-wise are the highest they have been in 20 years, give or take. So teams can rush, teams can throw short passes, but the deep ball is pretty much gone. And I think overall the the big play excitement, besides a, you know a team or two, is pretty much non-existent. Uh, yeah, and I mean, even look at most of your, other than a handful of like 50-plus yard touchdown passes, a lot of the long plays have been made off of a 10, 15-yard over-the-middle pass that the guy just uses his legs on. Yeah, because again, your, your quarterbacks don't have any time at all to extend plays. Like, even a four-man rush is getting a significant quick rush on your quarterback so barring a, a wide out making a, a play after the catch we're seeing almost no big plays in the NFL right now yeah it's definitely a big shift change so uh, really interesting a lot of people were wondering and talking about why like Joe Montana and all these guys are getting their stats passed it's because it was run heavy pure gridiron pound the rock football back then so seeing QBs like Allen and Mahomes, when the league seems to be reverting back to that kind of football, those two, maybe Jalen Hurts, are going to be the guys that stand out. Joe Burrow's finally getting his footing. So, yeah, I think we're going to go back to seeing, you know, the guys that throw four or 5,000 yards is, is actually going to be surprising again. Now, I think this bodes well for the scheme of your Cleveland Browns, 
with a great line. Offensively. Offensively, for sure. I think we're the only defense still using one safety in the back. In the uh, back. Probably the literally only one. So that's cool. Good but job, as far as Joe. moving the ball with Chubb and Hunt and Brissett controlling the game, minimizing turnovers. If they use them. You have the, the prototypical offense in today's game to score and move the ball downfield. And when we do that, we score and move the ball downfield. The problem is you can't stop anybody. Uh, the problem is we lost by, what, 15, 20 on Sunday because Chubb had 13 total touches. So that's not ideal. Now, my name is not, in fact, Kevin Stefanski, but could you explain why Nick Chubb only gets that amount of touches? Um, I can't. Uh, after uh, at halftime, it was I think tied up at ten to ten or seven to ten. It was still a close ball game, so I don't know why we came out after half throwing like we were down thirty. But at the end of the day, that's what it led to. So, yeah, I don't know. Not very happy about the scheming in that game at all. So, would you agree with the overall narrative that, in general, NFL offenses have been just downright bad? Or are defensive adjusting and making plays to adapt to the current NFL offensive scheme? Bingo. I think it's all in the defense here. I don't think the offenses offenses didn't change. Defensive scheming is the only thing that changed. So, I think you're seeing a more defensive-heavy football and I'm sure a lot of the older guys that are watching the NFL are absolutely loving their Sundays and Thursdays and Mondays. And a lot of younger guys like us who are used to these super crazy big plays, Mahomes, Allen, even Rodgers with his Hail Marys and everything like that, I think we're just not used to it. So it's hard to appreciate what's actually happening before our eyes. Yeah, and I think that, you know, overall, it's tough to watch good defensive football. You know, nobody wants to watch a 15-9 to game. That's not fun, right? But with today's talent, I think the difference between quarterback play as far as like QB5 and QB30 is honestly really close. I mean, if you put Baker in San Fran or if you put Zach Wilson in, hell, Green Bay, I don't think a whole lot changes there. I think overall, your wideout talent and your especially your O-line talent really determines how strong your offense actually is. And I think quarterback play overall is really falling behind as far as how much an impact that makes on the actual offense. Yeah, I agree uh, 100%. Um, yeah, it's like I said, it's a tough change, but if you can learn to appreciate it for what it is, you will start enjoying your football Sundays again. And if they just stop putting Denver in primetime games, that might help as well. Uh, that'd be ideal. Do you want to keep watching Russ Wilson throw 19 for 40 with two picks? Yeah, the problem is that's not even like defensive greatness. That's just he just straight up sucks. The Broncos being bad. 
And, and that's, 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 that, honestly, that, that factors in also. Like, of course, you have great defenses, but you have schemes like in Denver with Nathaniel Hackett, in Arizona with Cliff Kingsbury, who has run arguably the worst scheme in football since he's been hired. I mean, his entire scheme is just let Kyler run around and make a play. There's no foundation there. It's not sustainable, that's for sure. Look at Carolina with Matt Rule, who was a great coach in college, comes to the pros and just decides to stop coaching, period. Yeah, um, <clears throat> definitely interesting. It's almost like watching an era change during the same era of football, which is weird. Uh, with that being said, um, with all the trade buzz around Christian McCaffrey, uh, where would you like to see him end up? That's a fan question, of course. I think for me, I think as far as him succeeding goes, he should go to San Fran. I think in that backfield with 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 Debo Samuel, with Jeff Wilson Jr., he can go out, he can catch balls, he can run plays. He doesn't have to be involved in every single snap. He can be healthy. I think that's his overall best chance to succeed and put up numbers and stay healthy. Yeah, what he was doing before obviously wasn't sustainable. So... But the question is, is he a great back or was it just volume? I think it's a great question. You know, is a guy like this, does he need 35 touches per game to put up numbers? I think with a great offensive-minded coach and in a great system, no, he can get by with, you know, 18, 20 touches per game and put up production. I think so too. I think it's definitely down to scheming. Um, by all means, when you watch him run, he looks talented, whether his volume's there or not. He's a very talented runner, very talented pass catcher. So I don't think his volume attests for all of his talent. I think it helps. Obviously, his volume helps anybody's numbers. If you're getting the most touches on the team, you're obviously going to be responsible for most of their production offensively. But yeah, I like Sam Fran. Um, wouldn't mind seeing him in uh, in the Rams. Um, I think he'd be good for them. Yeah, because Cam Akers is pretty much gone. I don't think Daryl Henderson is a substantial replacement in that backfield. And it's proven that uh, Matt Stafford loves throwing the ball to white guys. So who better <laughs> to bring in than <laughs> Christian McCaffrey? Uh, with uh, well, Allen Robinson did have it finally make his Rams debut. Jesus Christ! Of course, on my fantasy bench, about time he puts up numbers. But yeah, I think Christian McCaffrey would be a good fit there. Um, with them searching for a running back and shopping Cam Akers, I don't know if they'll get any suitors for that trade. Let's be honest. Could anybody else utilize him properly than Bill Belichick in New England? I he loves. Versatile backs who can catch and run. I just the problem is they've never had a sole running back that can get the job done. So they've been splitting for the last what fifteen years. Yeah, but I can see Ramondre Stevenson taking the carries and CMC taking the pass catching out of the backfield. I don't know. I think a place where he will be the RB one is definitely a lot better of a fit just to keep him happy and to follow out his contract. 
Uh, you don't want to pay a bunch of money for a guy that you're using as your third down back or just a pass catching back. Uh, with that, let's jump right into the MLB with the playoffs rocking and rolling. God, things happening as we speak. So just now, um, the Phillies took game one. Let me double check that score real quick. This is the first time in MLB history that a division series matchup and a championship series matchup have occurred in the same day. So right now, um, and this is a big problem for me, the Yankees beat Cleveland 3-2 in that series. Problem is, they got to fly to Houston tonight, and they got to play tomorrow with no turnaround, no rest. They can't, you know, rest of their pitching staff. They can't line things up. Meanwhile, Houston won three days ago. They've been sitting around, taking things cool. I can't imagine why baseball wouldn't push this back at least a day to give New York a chance to kind of line things up. Hey, man, we play on a tight schedule. Um, According to TV schedules, of course, yeah. So um, in the game one of the NLDS, um, Philly took it 2 to nothing over, over the the, uh, the Padres. Um, so now we're going to have tomorrow, game one of the ALCS, Yankees in Houston, and game two of the NLCS with the Phillies on the road in San Diego up one nothing. Now, a lot of things at play here. Again, to have to totally reset your pitching staff and travel on a one-day's rest to play the number one seed in the American League, I don't see how that's fair, really, at all. I think Houston got a great break, and to give them credit, you know, they beat their team in three games straight after an 18-inning scoreless bout <laughs> in Seattle, which unfortunately I watched all of, yeah. until Jamie Pena, their shortstop, hit a finally, finally hit a solo shot in the 18th, and their bullpen closed it out. And I, 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 props to the Astros. As much as I hate them, as much as they're cheaters, you know, so be it. It seems like such a a, a gimme that they've been a four days rest, and now they, you know, the Yankees fly in tonight. You gotta play the next day. I mean, how does that seem fair to you? May not be fair, but after throwing 111 pitches, Garrett Cole said he's ready to go for Game One. Dude, he'll pitch every game he wants to. So, uh, I mean, they might drop one, but um, sorry, I'm just baffled by the fact you dropped an ash. <laughs> yeah, I had a. Uh... I had a Mike Zimmer moment. I dropped an ash on my notebook. <laughs> uh, shout out to Mike. Great guy. Um, but anyways, um, the championship series are, are they five game series? Seven games now. Seven games. So, yeah. If they drop one, I mean, the Yankees are a team that can battle it back for sure. So, I don't think it's going to rely as much on pitching. I think it's going to be if their offense stays hot. And I can't think of a better way to stay hot 
than to not let your bats cool off and you're going back to back that fast. Yeah, there's a uh, definitely a a um, an idea that with no days off, teams stay hotter. And with Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, Anthony Rizzo, and probably the two best teams in the American League facing off against each other, two great bullpens, great starting staffs, and deep lineups, this could go seven easily. But as far as the uh, the uh, the division series goes, the Phillies beat the defending champions Arizona Braves, Atlanta Braves, I should say, with their offense looking outstanding, being led by Bryce Harper, former MVP. Is Bryce Harper underrated? He's a two-time MVP, and like I feel like nobody talks about him. I think it was his injury hiatus earlier in the year that kind of dampered his talks about him. But now he's showing, hey, guys, (laughs) just in case you forgot, I'm still kind of the man. And now you have the 111-win Dodgers losing to the Padres, which gives you the first time in NLDS history that you have two teams that did not win 90 games facing off against each other in the NLCS. And for me, this is a toss-up. You've got a lot of talent on both sides of the ball with San Diego and Philly. I think their starting pitching is pretty equally matched. Um, in my mind, the the Padres lineup is a lot deeper with Juan Soto, you know, that, that mid-season acquisition who really didn't do a whole lot after that trade. But he stepped up big in the postseason. I think right now, I'm taking the Padres in that series. Hmm. I don't hate it, and I I hate rooting for Philly in any sport, just because their fan base has kind of ruined that for me. Agreed. Uh, at least the fans that live in Philly, I should say. Let me make that very clear. Um, outside of Philly, their fans aren't that bad. Um, but. This could be a time we see Philly sports win a triple crown. Look, the Eagles are 6-0. and The Phillies have a clear path. At least they're the final four as far as the World Series goes. The Sixers look great. Oh, yeah. And not to mention the Flyers are 4-0. To this point. Yeah. So, Philly sports took a turn for success. Right now, who is an easier path to the championship? The Eagles or the Sixers? Uh, Probably the Eagles, for sure. They've shown pure domination. Even against Dallas's stellar defense, they showed pure domination. A lot of that came from Dallas's offense not really kick-starting. But I think that's just a testament to Philly's defense at the end of the day. So, yeah, I think the Eagles and the Phillies are, I don't want to say the Eagles are locked in for a Super Bowl appearance, but they're not far from it. I think, in my opinion, the Phillies, if they don't slow down and they stay hot, they're locked in for a World Series appearance. Um, I think they definitely take it, in my opinion, over the Padres, simply because the offensive powerhouse that, the Phillies are 
Reese Hoskins, Bryce Harper, Schwarber, Kyle Schwarber, who hits like 180, but just hits bombs when he does make contact. Dude, their yeah, bullpen, he, their starting rotation. I don't want to ever want to root for a Philly team, but I love an underdog. Well, I think the Padres are the underdog. I mean, right? they both are. Yeah, that's true. Big underdog story. Um, with that, I think we're going to take a quick break. Come back at you with some cigar notes, some whiskey notes, and maybe a top five list. Stay tuned after this. Welcome back, everybody. We are going to touch on some quick cigar notes real quick. Austin, what are you getting? You know, I expected a lot more from this. Not that it's bad, but for a $25 stick, the flavors are kind of kind of staying solid, not a whole lot of complexity going on. Um, again, a great burn, a great draw, but for a infused Weller stick, I thought I'd get more some bourbon notes, which I have not touched at all so far, at least for my palate. What are you getting? Some light oak, maybe a little brown sugar from that bourbon barrel, a little bit of wheat. Again, it's not bad, but for what I thought I was getting into, it just doesn't quite match up to the standards that I had set, at least in my own head. So maybe you just overhyped it a little. Um, agreed, but not. I mean, I, I should have overhyped it. Like a Cohiba and Weather collaboration that should be hyped up. Like this should be a great stick. And so far, it's it's just good. Well, at least it's not just bad. Um, it could be worse. How's that old fashioned treating you? Uh, he, I make the best old fashions from here on this side of the Mississippi. You know that. <laughs> uh, dare I say on both sides of the Mississippi. Whoa. Pump the brakes on that, champ. No, Florida. Uh, I totally. If you make a better old fashioned, then step up. Sounds like we got an old fashioned off cooking. Uh, I, on my stick, and it's pretty bland as far as flavors go i'm not the biggest fan um i wouldn't i probably wouldn't go out of my way to buy this stick again uh getting some light pepper and earthy notes here um as i transition into the final third i'm starting to get some dark fruits maybe some like blueberries and blackberries stuff like that but uh nothing that i would go out of my way to uh buy again that's for sure so our first O for two in terms of uh, smokes. I don't want to say O for two because it's like I said, it's not a bad smoke, but it's just not for me. Also, we've we've pretty much smoked the best of the best on the show so far. So if anything falls below an eight point based on what we smoked so far, it's really not even that fair. No, yeah, not at all. Yeah, as of right now, I give it like a seven point five. And with that, we'll go straight into our NFL news and injury reports. Cam, start us off. Uh, we have the Titans with a new agreement for a lease and with Nashville's mayor for a $2.1 billion stadium that's going to sit at a 1.7 million square feet. It's going to have the capacity of 60,000 fans. And with these parameters, makes it available for large events. Uh, that I'm I'm not sure what that entails. How, Concerts for sure. 
However, in Nashville on the lake, yeah. I mean, on the river, I should say, that's a big time draw. Yeah, they also said that they will be able to host the Super Bowl there when that gets built and furnished. So that's big news with the Titans' lease coming up, being re-signed to stay in Nashville. Now, as far as some roster moves, what do we have in that regard? We got the Cardinals going on a trade and signing spree, signing Rodrigo Blankenship, former Colts kicker, to their practice squad, assuming he will be moved up because, by all accounts, he's a good kicker. I think the Colts jumped the gun on putting him off after one missed field goal and one missed point after touchdown. Um, Other than that, they traded for Robbie Anderson, and the reason so is Hollywood Brown is out for the year, which they're assuming Robbie Anderson can fill that gap with DeAndre Hopkins coming back as a solid second option. And, I mean, I don't hate it. I don't think he's a bad wideout by any means. What do you think? I mean, he threatened to retire if they signed Baker Mayfield, which they did, and he did not retire. Um, in this Arizona offense, I think, especially now that Hollywood's out for the year, he's a solid number two. If he can uh, create space, get open, take some pressure off of Hollywood, I mean, take some pressure off of uh, DeAndre Hopkins and Zach Ertz, uh, he could put numbers up. I mean, Kyler's going to throw the ball 28, 30, 35 times a game, and they're not all going to be towards DeAndre Hopkins, so... For you fantasy guys out there, if you want a, a flex, a wideout too, I mean, go pick him up. I think he's going to put some production up. I don't see why he would not in a pass-heavy offense. He might help you win the league. I mean, who knows? Yeah, I don't think that's a bad trade at all. Um, do we have any more news? Um, maybe the Ravens signed to Sean Jackson. Yeah, what, 36-year-old vet? Yeah, 10 years past his prime. Um, and the Ravens need help offensively, that's for sure. You've got Andrews, you've got Devin DuVernay. Rashad Bateman has not really lived up to the hype to this point. So why not sign up a big, uh, deep ball threat for a pretty solid team-friendly contract. I mean, worst case, what, you waste some money? Um, <clears throat> I think the upside is a lot higher than the downside. I also think they're not going to use him in the deep ball. I think he's a better route runner than Duvernay and Bateman as of right now, uh, barring he substantially fell off and can't run a slant anymore. But I think they're going to use him for over the middle and uh, first downs. Maybe a return game kind of threat in punt return or kick return? Maybe. I uh, still think they need De- Duvernay there. You don't want an older guy just in, for injuries and whatnot. Now, as far as the injury report goes, uh, not a whole lot this week, thank God. But some substantial injuries nonetheless. Cam, what's the uh, biggest injury report on that regard? Uh, in my opinion, the Biggest would probably be Hollywood Brown going out for the year. Uh, I think that's going to take a hurt, but we did just touch on that. So I think in second place would probably be Kenny Pickett's concussion. Um, 
by all means, they benched Trubisky for him. So that was their guy moving forward. But with all these concussions we're seeing in the league lately, um, that could take a bigger toll than we think. Now, Cam, answer me this. Who is the backup to Carson Wentz? Taylor Heineke. Is that a fact? Yes. Well, it turns out he's actually not that bad, at least from last season. Uh, but Carson Wentz is out for at least four to six weeks with a uh, finger injury. Um, he's been surprisingly good this year, putting up numbers at least. Still turning the ball over. Maybe Taylor Heineke can come in and, and be a, a more controlled offense with the weapons he's got. But for the time being, Carson Wentz out four to six. Washington, I, I mean, that team doesn't really matter that much as far as the, <laughs> the long term goes. Yeah, I think their biggest area of play missing right now is quarterback. Uh, Carson Wentz was a huge jump up, and he's been playing good. But you know going into Carson Wentz that he is a guy that gets hurt. So I think they need to make moves in the draft to try and get that quarterback because they have the weapons around them. They have a solid defense. They have, you know, Jahan Dotson's been looking good. Scary Terry, obviously going to be great. Brian Robinson looks good. So they've got the right weapons in place. They just need a quarterback that can complement those weapons better. Now, speaking of quarterback, apparently, and I don't want to draw some some criticism here, Russell Wilson has now, after the lat injury, a quadricep injury. I have yet to see a steeper decline from top 10 guy to bottom three guy than Russell Wilson. And I don't want to say it, but are, are these made up injuries or is he just that beat up and looks terrible? Because I'll tell you what, his vision is not hurt, but he's missing guys wide open over across the field continuously uh I don't know it's it's hard to say again first year head coach first year quarterback chemistry issues and all that all that aside you're not wrong he is missing throws Uh, I think losing out on your safety net and Tyler Lockett and your deep ball guy and DK Metcalf two big physical receivers think that hurts more than you think Cortland Sutton's still playing good uh, Jerry Judy, unfortunately, injury prone. Um, other than that, uh, losing Tim Patrick hurt a lot, and that's showing. Um, so yeah, I think uh, I think we just jumped the gun on how good the Broncos should have been this year. I think you give every team that's new a year to go in and figure things out, and then the year after is when you really expect the boom, in my opinion. I mean, their defense is literally number one in the league as far as points allowed go. But they cannot score the ball at all. Yeah, and again, They I, drive, they get in the red zone, and their red zone offense completely stalls and puts nothing up on the scoreboard. Yeah, I, I really think that's a big takeaway from their offensive scheming. Um, they don't really run the ball a lot in the red zone, which is absurd uh, especially when guys are playing seven in coverage Um, it's just too small of a field to try and get a deep play or touchdown with and um, yeah uh, I don't know it's hard to tell what they're going to do in the future 
Um, I think they definitely need to work on some offensive scheming and uh, getting Russ healthy. That should be their two big focuses. Now, can we talk UFC? Uh, I've been waiting to talk this card and argue with you about my picks to win for like three months. The card of the year. October 22nd. It's a 2 p.m. start. It's in Abu Dhabi. This card is absolutely stacked. Prelims start at 10 a.m. Also. And, it, and it brings a lot of um, repercussions as far as the rankings go, number one contenders go. Let's start at the bottom. What's your most intriguing matchup on this card not pertaining to championship fights? Um, I really like the women's bout on the main card. Uh, Caitlin Chukagian, I believe. Yeah. Uh, these are two up-and-coming stars and stars in general that are going to be moving quickly up into getting a shot at a championship. And with how we've seen the championship fluctuate at that weight class, there's a solid chance that one of them could end up with it. And it's not that I don't love these you know, higher-ranked fighters, but I, I, I think... When you factor in Valentina Shevchenko and Amanda Nunes, like nobody beats them besides each other, which they probably won't fight again. I think until one of them retires or both retires, you won't have another champion in that weight class for a long time being. All it takes is a slip up in your training regiment. And Amanda Nunez proved that in the last when she lost her title. I mean, Juliana Pena. Great fighter. But when Amanda's on her game, I don't think Juliana has any realistic chance of beating her. I believe they're going to be fighting again soon. Uh, yeah, yeah, nothing announced yet, but maybe 283, 284 in uh, December or I October. I mean, uh, think January. Did 283 get confirmed for London? Uh, not yet, but uh, there's a lot of great fights there in the works. I, I would love to go to that card. Because with Patty Pimblett, you know, the London champ, there's so many great, exciting fights. Well, the real London champ, Leon Edwards. Oh, my God. Again, is there a more underrated fighter in the UFC right now? Uh, Probably. I can't think of one off the top of my head. It's hard to say he's underrated when he's fighting against Kamaru Usman, though. But let's get back to 280. You want to talk picks? Let's go some quick picks. On the undercard, which is definitely worth watching, you've got a great light heavyweight matchup. Volkan Ozdemir and Nikita Krylov. Two guys that eventually will probably be competing for that title spot. They're 8th and 10th in the rankings, respectively. And as far as an undercard, this could easily headline a fight night event. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um... Yeah, this card is, again, absolutely stacked. And I'm super excited to watch it. Uh, what do you got as far as a pick for that card goes? So it's a three-round fight. I'm going Uzdemir. I think he's got more power, um, a more technical striking background. Um, give me Uzdemir, TKO, round two. TKO? I'm going TKO. Whoa, that's... Now, the headliner of the prelims, 
which again, you guys should definitely tune into. Well, let's uh, pump the brakes because I like Krylov. Whoa, whoa. Put a little friendly wager on that. Uh, I've done enough friendly wagers in my time being. Let me uh, win a couple and then we can get back Maybe to that. Maybe Loser buys a cigar for the show. Uh, we can we can do that. Yeah, I like Krylov, and I think it goes the distance and comes down to decision. Uh, I would love to see that. Now, the headliner again of the prelims, we have Sean Brady. 15-0. and 0. And Bilal Muhammad. Now, Bilal looks like a definite tighter contender. Now, there's a lot of things that have to happen for him to get to that spot. I think a win here, you know, puts him into the top five, top six, as far as the um, welterweight rank- rankings go. If you guys couldn't tell, Austin is kind of under the influence a little bit here. I, you know, I may have had a, a drink or two. I like to think I'm still, uh, you know, podcast ready. Uh, minus all the slurring. Yeah, you know, I'm going uh, Bilal decision in three. Uh, I, I like Sean Brady. I'm not doing this just for banter either, I promise. <laughs> Where are we going? <laughs> We're going head-to-head in back-to-back fights. Uh, yeah, I like Sean Brady. Until I see him lose, I'm not going to give him a loss. Uh, now, main card. Let's talk it. Again, card of the year. Maybe card of the past two years. This card is absolutely stacked with contenders, great fights, great matchups, and the opening card, uh, the opening fight of this card. Cam, who do you got? Uh, the women's flyweight, uh, Manon Fiorot or Fioro versus Caitlin Chukagin. Chukagin, I, I like Chukagin here. I think she's overall the more, more all around fighter. Yeah, all around yeah. fighter for sure. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's go with a second round TKO on my part. Ooh, I think we're going to see a submission. Is that a fact? I think so. Uh, lightweight bout. Big time fights. A a lot of things going into this fight. Benil Dariush versus Mateusz Gamrat. Now, Dariush said he was the backup fighter for the main event. A lot of things went down there. Apparently, Volkanovski is officially the backup fighter. Dariush got skipped over. Is this Dana and Sean Shelby doing dirty to the actual lightweight fighters? I don't know. Um, but a, a great performance here definitely gets him into the... I guess either guy really into the championship conversation. Um, I think Dariush is a bona fide top five guy. Nothing against Gamerot. He's got the potential. Um, but I'm going Dari Hoosh in a second round submission. Whoa. See, this is where we're going to bat heads again. I like Gamrot. Uh, I think we're going to see a late first round knockout. Whoa. Um, I think Gamrot's going to bring the heat. I think he's going to overwhelm Dariush early. And just really put a show on for us. Now, the what should very well be a co-main or even a main event, I think the fight we disagree on the most, somehow, the, the third fight on this card, former champ Piotr Jan against the sensation Sugar Sean O'Malley. Sugar Number, Sean all the way. 12th ranked Sugar Sean 
against number one contender Pyotr Jan. First of all, props to Pyotr for taking this fight. He has nothing to win here. If he wins, who cares? He beat a number 12 guy. He has everything to lose. But everything to lose. And I think those stakes make somebody get the adrenaline to want to take a fight like this. Like you won. If you lose, you prove that you're not the number one guy, right? And if Sean O'Malley wins, he finally gets to shut all the haters up. That dude is a straight assassin. Look, admittedly, I am a... I don't want to say hater. I'm not a supporter of Sugar Sean. He's beaten nobody, right? It doesn't matter. If he turns out and beats Piotr Jan, I will gladly shut my mouth. I just, I don't see that happening. He's got a substantial reach advantage. But I think Piotr is such a bulldog. He's going to get in close. He's got great striking. I don't think it's going to go to the ground. Absolutely not. It shouldn't. It should be an absolute banger. Swinging and banging. I think it's going to be a one-sided banger. As far as Sugar Sean yes. is. Watch, if you've ever watched a Sugar Sean fight, it doesn't matter who the other guy is. He is putting these guys through an absolute clinic. He has no power. He's got tons of power. He landed 9,000 strikes on Chris Matino, that's, an amateur, and did not knock him out. That's a testament to Matino, though. That dude's got an iron chin. Of course. I don't think him. there's anybody that could knock that guy out. But a real contender should definitely be able to knock him out. Also, how many times should that fight have actually been stopped? Probably at least seven or eight. So I think that's... I don't think that... Sean O'Malley puts on an absolute clinic every time he steps into the octagon, and I don't think that is going to change. No, I think the hype chain finally dies out here. I'm telling you right now, Sean O'Malley is the future of the UFC, and he is going to be a long-term champion. Look, I'm all for that. The guy's a definitely, he, he draws. He's got a great fan base behind him. He's a fascinating guy. Talented guy, not not to take anything away from him, but I think I, I think Piotr Jan is just on a different level. I mean, he should be champ, barring that disqualification, and then Aljo actually did beat him. All things considered, I'll gladly put up a uh, substantial bet on Sugar Sean versus Piotr Jan. The official Sports and Stogies bet. For you. Do you want to agree? agree? No, I love Sugar Sean O'Malley in this fight. I love Piotr Jan. So we disagree. Exactly. So what's the bet? We can throw another stick on it. Uh, I'm here for that. Now uh, the co-main. Goddamn. Damn. Uh, Lead us into that co-man. Two absolute assassins. Aljamain Sterling versus TJ Killashaw. He didn't get that nickname for no reason. Is there anything better than hearing Bruce Buffer say TJ Dillashaw into the ring? Uh, Yeah. Aljamain Sterling into the ring. Current champion, mind you. And that's why he's winning this fight again. Look, I love Aljo. I think he got a lot of bad rap after the DQ against Piotr Jan. But then he beat him straight up, and he looked great. Phenomenal. I think Aljo's in his prime right now. Meanwhile, Dillashaw, I think he's past his prime. You know, take away the the PED allegations, which have been proven true. I think matchup-wise, Aljo's just better overall. If they go to the ground, I think Aljo's substantially stronger than people think he is. 
I think he's better on the feet. I don't see a way that TJ wins this fight. I agree. I think this is Aljo's fight to lose. Um, he needs to go in there, fight smart, fight like a champion, and he's bound to catch Killashaw. He's going to open up his guard. He's going to be able to defend on the ground. Uh, I think we're looking at second or third round knockout here. And even look at like, look at TJ's last four fights, right? He beat Corey Sanhagen in a suspension. He lost to Sandra Hudo a, a while ago before that suspension. And he split with Cody Garbrandt, who Cody's proven he can't beat anybody. I, I think this is a clear win for Aljo Sterling. Now, the main event, which maybe you casuals aren't as excited for as me and Cam are, but I have not looked forward to a fight to this degree since probably Dustin Connor, two, or one, or maybe even Khabib Connor. Yeah. Um, again, either way, even if Charles Oliveira doesn't make weight and it's Volk that goes in, Still an absolute phenomenal fight. I kind of hope for that. Although I do think Volk would get bodied by Islam if they did fight. But Charles and Islam, that's a must-see TV. It's going to be an absolute wrestling match for sure. Um, Islam, phenomenal wrestler. Charles, phenomenal defender. And will slip you into a submission you didn't even know was real. Now, I think Islam actually wants to stand and bang. And he can. And Charles has got a great chin. I mean, he took that shots from, from Michael Chandler, took shots from Poirier, took shots from Gaethje, and went down but got back up and then submitted those guys. I hope he goes a full five. I don't want to see a decision, though, but I think either of these guys are more than capable of finishing this fight. But your prediction is? I'm going Charles TKO. Give me Islam. This kid is upcoming. He's going to dominate. What's the blueprint to beat the typical Dagestani wrestler type like Khabib or Islam? There isn't. You just got to hope you catch them and catch them on a week where they're day where they're tired. Now, I'm thinking Islam might take Charles down. But I think with Charles' BJJ background, I think he pulls a submission, locks in a choke, and wins and cements himself as the greatest lightweight of all time, surpassing Khabib Nurmagomedov. Oh, wow, I was, was going to quick right there. Khabib <laughs> Nurmagomedov. Khabib, in general. <laughs> I think Charles proclaims himself as the new and probably standing for a long time the best lightweight of all time. I think it's Islam's fight to lose in all reality. So when it first got announced, Vegas was a heavy, heavy favorite on Islam. Charles, he was a three-to-one dog. And I wish I would have bet that at the time because it's pretty much an even fight now. If Islam wins, is there a clear... Because all the other lightweights are strikers. And I see Islam completely dominating all those guys if he wins. Uh, in my opinion, all those guys need to do is work on takedown defense. Um, it's not going to work in their favor 
in his favor if he just sticks to the bull rushing tactic that Hamzat does that Islam also took a liking to. I think it's going to revolve a lot around striking, and I think Olivieri is going to get knocked out. You're calling an Islam knockout? Yeah. On the feet? Yeah. I think in the fourth, I think Charles's tank's going to go, and I think Islam's going to be still going in a steady motion, putting a clinic on him. I think he's going to catch him. Man, I think Charles has probably the best gas tank in the lightweight division. If it goes the distance, it's going Charles. Charles has the best gas tank when he's in control. But I think if, if I don't Islam think takes he's... him down, I think I think Charles is comfortable being on his back, being on the bottom, and landing up a, Which a chokehold. Which is why you game plan for these guys, and I think Islam's going to not take him down, knock him down. I don't think he's going to give Charles a choice. Yeah, we've seen that. Like Charles... Gets knocked up. But the difference is, you're seeing a guy, if you get knocked down by a wrestler, you're done. There's no getting up. Yeah, you're done. So I think we're going to see a nasty right or left hook catch Charles right on the chin, stumble him back, double leg, ground and pound finish. I almost think that's what Charles wants. I don't think he anybody wants, wants that. He to, to push on him. If, and then he locks him up in a, in a filthy submission. If Charles wants that, then he's losing the fight on purpose. He's never fought anyone like Islam. I mean, who has? Exactly. Besides anybody who's fought Khabib. Exactly. This is pretty much Khabib Jr., but with better striking. Point proven. I mean, you've got a 10-fight win streak with Islam against an 11-fight win streak with Charles. If Islam wins, I think he's got a long, long reign on the lightweight division. If Charles wins, I mean, who else is left to fight? It's pretty much it. Go ahead and retire as the best lightweight of all time. I don't disagree. Maybe uh, maybe you train up and get in the ring and you go fight Charles. But I think Islam takes this win. Well, you've heard that. Our official Sports and Stogies predictions... Uh, we'll come back with some more news overall after this. And maybe some uh, cigar notes and whiskey notes after the break. Welcome back to Sports and Stogies, everybody. We are going to jump right in with some cigar notes. Austin, how'd you like the finishing touches on that? Man, I wish I would have liked it more. Um, some slight dark chocolate notes, a little bit of oak. Not a bad stick by any means, but not worth twenty five bucks. Uh, I, I I expected a lot more from this. Kind of a letdown, honestly. Sounds good, but not as good as you thought it would be. It's a great like twelve dollars stick. Yeah, but well, not twenty five bucks. With worth. the Weller named attached, it's going to be more expensive. Yeah, you would have thought a lot more from that. Yeah. That still gave you a good quality stick. For sure. I, again, a good smoke. But with that price tag and with that names behind it, um, I expected a whole lot more. Um, for you guys out there, I probably wouldn't buy it as far as like even a beginner smoke. If you want if you love Weller or love Cohiba, maybe worth a shot. 
But overall, I'd say pass this one up, which I did not think I would say. Yeah, I got some dark fruit and oaky notes to finish off my stick. Um, again, not the biggest fan overall. Kind of the flavor almost stayed stagnant, like yours. Um, light changes like pepper and dark fruit, but other than that, that earthy, oaky, woody, natural tobacco stuck around the whole time. Um, with that, we're going to go into our top five mistakes that beginner cigar smokers make. As well as we still make to this day. Yeah, a lot of things maybe people don't quite think of, um, ourselves included. I think number five, improper pairing. Now, of course, anytime you get a smoke, you want to pair it up with a nice soda, a whiskey, maybe a cocktail. Um, but if you don't pair that appropriately with the cigar that you have, you might not have a great experience. Which, of course, I and Cam have both been through. Maybe you have a spicy smoke that you pair up with a spicy cigar and it doesn't quite complement each other to that degree. Um, so definitely do your research as far as what you're drinking compared to what you're smoking. And it's going to give you a better experience overall. Cam, number four, what do you got? Uh, well, I just want to touch on number five first. Let's go. Um a lot of people tend to go towards coffee as a great pairing. Um, something carbonated always works if you're not a big fan of uh, whiskey or bourbon. Um, we usually go with Fanta when we go with carbonated. Um, other than that, pretty much any whiskey or any bourbon, if you have the right stick, pairs phenomenally. Um, number four, we have an improper cut. The last thing you want to do is cut too much off the foot or cut too little or also the type of cut makes a big difference. If you're, you may not be a V cut guy. So, and you get a V cut and you don't like it. That it happens. There's tons of cuts for a reason. Yeah. I'm a, uh, a guillotine guy myself. Um, I've got a back cut on mine so I can never cut too much off unless I want to. I think overall, if you cut too much off, of course, you're going to completely unravel your cigar, which I have done in the past. I think we all have. But with a proper cut and a proper light, you're going to have the best overall experience. Cam, I know you've cut off not enough, which leads to a very tight, very low draw, which nobody wants. Yeah, it definitely makes smoke production a little more difficult keeping the light a little more difficult um yeah the ideal is getting the perfect cut and getting the perfect light take some practice for sure uh number three by the way guys is an improper light which the two kind of play a role to each other with a good cut you can hold a good light with a bad cut it's harder to hold a good light so i think those two are pretty much interchangeable as well as dependent on each other um number two Smoking too fast. Yeah, this is kind of a hard one because like everybody that lights up wants to smoke every 20, 30 seconds and take a puff. Some sticks don't need that. If you light properly, you can get by with a minute, minute and a half, even two minutes without taking a puff. And it's going to burn just right. When you smoke too quickly, you're going to get a lot more deep, 
like fire charcoal flavors instead of the proper flavors from that cigar, which again, we've all done. We all probably still do. Um, but just take your time, enjoy that smoke, especially with the proper pairing and proper cut and light, and you'll have a much better experience overall. And I agree. Number one, the arguably most important mistake that you could possibly make is who you're smoking with and what you're talking about. Um, you don't want to get too fiery when you're smoking. You want to be relaxed, talk about things you enjoy, and you want to be with somebody you can relax and have things in common with just for some small talk, some banter back and forth, interesting things, things that make you think a little bit. Sports is great. Um, yeah, you definitely want to make sure you're in the right company when it comes to smoking a cigar. Yeah, even a bad stick can still be great with a proper company. I've had a handful of less than stellar cigars that with the people around me still makes a great experience. Even the first time I think me and Cam lit up, it wasn't a great smoke. But a couple of guys in there started talking NBA, talking NFL. And next thing you know, you're burning through your stick and you're having a great conversation. So again, we encourage every show, if you don't know what you want, go into your local shop, talk to the staff in there and figure out something to light up for the first time. And you're probably nine times out of ten, you're going to be happy. Yeah. Um, again, all those factors play into whether or not you're going to enjoy your cigar. Uh, with that being said, it's time to jump into the NBA, which I believe is my forte. And we do have an NBA fan question from a good pal named Shane. Oh, snap. Big 76ers fan, disappointed after the loss tonight. Uh, he wants to know if tip-off showed the 76ers' weakness or the Celtics' strengths. And so, of course, that just happened while we're recording. In my opinion... I think it shows both. Uh, I think the 76ers lack in decision-making and defensively as far as matching up with guards and forwards. Um, I believe Tobias Harris didn't score in the second half. Uh, they're still running that Embiid iso ball for some reason, which I disagree with, and I think that makes Embiid look like a bad team player. Um if they don't get away from that scheme, I don't think they'll ever win a championship with Embiid. Um, so I'm really hoping for some improvements there because it's full of players I like and full of players who I feel deserve a championship, like Harden, uh, Tobias Harris, and Embiid. I think they all deserve a championship by all means. But if you keep this Embiid iso ball and hero ball type play, then you're going to lose to teams that move the ball around. Now, do you think James Harden can adjust and fully push himself to his potential on a team with this MB, Tobias Harris, you know, supporting cast? I think, if anything, that's going to elevate Harden. He's already taken more of a floor general role on this team, which I think suits him better than his ISO hero ball role that he had in Houston so I got great hopes looking at James Harden and this team as long as they can scheme and bead correctly 
I think they could go pretty far. And as far for the Celtics go, Celtics look just like they did last year. Um, Really, again, relying on Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to score over half the team's points. Who each put up 35, I believe. But again, that type of basketball is not really sustainable either. If either of them have a bad game, they're probably going to lose. You need to work on getting everyone else involved. You went and got Malcolm Brogdon in the offseason. Use him. You got you know, Grant Williams off the bench still. Use him. Use the talent you have in role players just like the Bucks do or the Heat do. You Being able to spread the ball like that is, at the end of the day, what wins you basketball games. Now, we did not touch on this last episode. Do you really think the Nets overall, with KD, Kyrie, and now Ben Simmons coming back healthy and apparently in the starting lineup, will they make a significant impact come playoff time, come the regular season? I mean, can they win substantially? Uh, I think so, for sure. Uh, In my opinion, I love Ben Simmons, uh, minus all the drama that was last year. I think he's put all that behind him. And I think he's really going to come out this year and show out and show, hey, just so you know, I wasn't the problem in Philly. I think this team that he's on is the perfect fit. He just needs to be a floor general facilitator and play great defense. And guess what? That's Ben Simmons' game. So, yeah, I think the Nets look good. If they can keep everyone healthy, keep Kyrie on the court, keep KD on the court, keep Ben Simmons on the court, I mean, I think they're a force to be reckoned with. And can they all three work together? Because I think KD and Kyrie kind of have, uh, you know, alternative game styles. And Ben Simmons ideally would be a great defender and just kind of an off-ball kind of guy. But can KD and Kyrie work together in a simultaneous offense? Uh, absolutely. If you look at KD and Kyrie's best efficiencies in the league it's when they're not the main ball handler katie or katie with Stephen clay phenomenal basketball Kyrie with lebron phenomenal basketball like when they're not the focal point of the offense they play amazing so i think with ben simmons bringing the ball up the court every drive and playing great defense and making fast break opportunities i think you're going to see this nets team be what they were supposed to be last year and the year yeah, prior. Yeah, maybe a dark horse playoff team, maybe an uh, East Eastern Conference winner. Uh, maybe they don't win the East, but I don't think they'll be in the play-in tournament. I think they'll be locked in the playoffs. Now, as far as our team of the week goes, of course, we're picking our tonight's what Tuesday night. Yeah, from Tuesday until next Tuesday, the team of the week. Cam, who do you have? I have the New Orleans Pelicans. And who are they playing, and why are you choosing the Pelicans, of all teams, to be team of the week? They have a solid lineup of matchups against the Jazz, the Mavericks, the Nets, and the Hornets. And in my opinion, this is a young team that has a lot to prove. Uh, Zion's coming back, and I think that's going to be a huge help. If he can stay on the court, uh, the dude has been an MVP talks when he is on the court because he's that dominant. And I think that makes their offense better, leaving guys like Josh Hart and Brandon Ingram open at the three. And I think that whole offensive efficiency is going to skyrocket with Zion being on the court. 
as well as Valanchunas banging down low with him and spreading the floor with the other guys. Uh, I think uh, two years ago, this offense is what the Nets were trying to build, and the Pelicans nonchalantly built it by trading for the entire Lakers roster. So Zion, most improved player for sure? It's hard to say it's an improvement. Just him staying on the court is an improvement, but he's he averages like 27 and 11. I mean, you can't improve. Will you improve to 29 and 35 12? and 15? Like, to say he'll win, I mean, you could talk about him in the MVP race. I think you'll be able to. But most improved, I think you should leave that to players that deserve it. Now, as far as my team of the week, I'm going to go with the Miami Heat. They got four big time games. They start off with the Chicago Bulls, which by no means is an easy matchup. They play Boston after that, and then a home and home against the Toronto Raptors. I don't expect them to go four and zero, but there's four tough games, which they could definitely should compete in. I love Jimmy Butler. I love Bam Adebayo. Love Tyler Hero. I think the supporting cast is there. And without, in my mind, the best coach in the league, Eric Spolstra, I could definitely see them winning all four of those games starting off to a great 4-0 start. Uh, yeah, I don't disagree. I love the Heat. Um, love the team they built there. I think their only weak point is Kyle Lowry. Uh, I don't think he's worth what they paid him. As far as a vet point guard, that's a facilitator and defender goes. Um, I don't think you can call on, call on him as much offensively as they'd like to. And they try to do. Um, but yeah, I love the heat. If Kyle Lowry takes a step back offensively and just plays floor general facilitator and doesn't necessarily rely on him offensively, but if they call on him, he can perform. I think that team's a force to be reckoned with as well. And, in my opinion, they're my favorites to win the East. Yeah, you pick them to win the entire thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, again, I, I can't I can't get behind well, I can get behind it. Jimmy Butler, the the most underrated superstar in the league right now. Uh for sure. Two way player, can score, can guard anybody. Can score effortlessly. With ease. Yeah. Uh why does he get pretty much zero respect? I mean, you want to say playoff performance, but he performs well. Maybe it's just lack of moving on in the playoffs. He's even better in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I don't know. Definitely a weird uh, weird hatred there. So thoughts as far as our, our both of us, our Cavs and Mavs, going into the year, of course, Luka is the Vegas favorite for MVP. But I think, especially with your Cavs, adding Donovan Mitchell, two, three seed in the East, Jared Allen healthy again. It, it, yeah, it just depends on injuries. Um, I think they both made the right offseason moves they need to be successful with the acquisition of Donovan Mitchell for the Cavaliers and for the Mavericks, the acquisition of Christian Wood. Um, I think that just elevates them to a new level of basketball that they were lacking before. Um, having Donovan Mitchell helps get these younger guys into check when it comes to playoff time. Um, 
But yeah, I think they're all gonna they're gonna be working like a well oiled machine and just winning ball games. I think it's only a matter of time until Darius Garland is a top three point guard in the league. Uh, uh, Call me crazy, but he's a floor general. He's great. Pass, can score. I think he can be a better defender than what he has shown. Uh, definitely. I don't know. My hopes are high for the Cavaliers for the future, at least. Again, um, I mean, young team, young core, not a lot of heavy money tied up, and a solid coach that I think can take this team a long way going forward. Hopefully. Uh, with that, with talking of acquisitions and signings, Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole making bank. Now, Andrew, I noticed you did not mention one Draymond Green. Unfortunately, he's going to have to take a pay cut or he walks. Uh, I think that's going to hurt more than people think. Um, okay, so let's break that down. If if you're the Warriors, do you recognize how much Draymond applies to your team? And if you're Draymond, would you take a pay cut to stay with a championship, albeit contender, probably winner, or would you rather leave and go play second or third to fatal for a team that's not going to contend to the level that the Warriors are? I think it all just depends on Draymond's mentality here. Um, I think he's a guy that would be willing to take a pay cut, but out of spite, he may not. Uh, I'm not very sure where they're going with this, but I think, in my opinion, Wiggins and Draymond were their must signs. But Over Jordan Poole? Yes. Um, Jordan Poole, four years, 140 mil. It's great. It's a great contract, just not for him. He's... He's a guy that, one, his role gets diminished when Clay Thompson's back and healthy, right? Correct. And even with that big role he had last year, he averaged 18, like 2 and 3. Not something that, in my opinion, is worth $140 million. Which was when mostly Steph was hurt, correct? Uh, it was when Clay was hurt, yeah. But either one, yeah. So, yeah, again... Uh, Tyler Hero kind of set the gold standard for good six men getting paid. He got four-year 130. Uh, but again, his averages look better, and he's been good in important games. And he's shown that, hey, I can step up to the plate whenever. And when Clay came back, they just stopped utilizing Poole. So in my opinion, he could have signed that contract elsewhere and been a number one guy, and it would have been a lot better for him. But maybe they see something I don't. Now, of course, you, among many other people, think that Draymond is not just underpaid, but underappreciated as far as the Warriors go. Maybe not underpaid, but underappreciated for sure. I mean, he's been their leader since day one that he got drafted. Uh, he's He is the locker room. He's one of the most important guys on the court. And he's one of the few guys in the NBA that will go to war for his team. You just don't see that anymore. And, yeah, he gets a bad rep, and he is physical, and he gets a lot of texts, but he puts his whole heart into the game, and that shows in his fouls. I mean, and, again, just the defensive presence, just you would have to watch a Warriors game to really know. Statistically, Draymond Green sucks, right? Yeah, who I mean, who wants a five points, six boards, 1.5 assists, and three steals? That's not a sexy byline. No, but at the end of the day, if you call on him offensively, he's proven time and time again he can perform. 
And defensively, he's a dog. He plays old school physical defense. He's he's basically Dennis Rodman of today's age. That can shoot occasionally. Yeah. If needed. And in my opinion, it's underappreciated in today's league. Same with NFL. Great defense is underappreciated because it dampers the offense. And Draymond's not making flashy plays. He's just playing like a dog on defense and bodying guys left and right. And it's just underappreciated in my opinion. Could you make the case that Draymond is the single most underappreciated player in the past 10 years? Absolutely. Uh, Keeping on this contract signing, um, DeAndre Hunter, uh, six man for the Atlanta Hawks, Gets four-year, $95 million deal. Last year averaged 30 minutes, 13 points, three rebounds, and one assist. So good value? Horrible value. He play, he's never played more than 65 games. He deals with injuries. And his best season was 30 minutes, 15 points, four rebounds, three assists. And that was only 24 games. Uh, last year he played 53 and averaged 30 minutes and could only muster up 13 points, three rebounds, and one assist. And in my opinion, that's not $95 million. And now, of course, with the signing of DeJounte Murray, that's going to eat in his minutes, correct? 100%. Why would you pay a guy that's going to have a a lesser role in your offense and defense? I don't know. Uh, In my opinion, that's a very Philadelphia 76er contract right there. They tend to overpay for their guys, too. But uh, that's something I never saw coming, that's for sure. Does that wrap it up as far as NBA news go? Uh, the last thing is just a little personal touch. Uh, University of Kentucky has the most NBA players that came from their school in the nation on rosters for tip-off at 27 players. Is that a surprise? This is spread across 17 franchises in which eight of them have more than one. Yeah, not a shock at all. I think Calipari and that whole coaching staff, of course, their entire pitch to recruits is, hey, you know what? Come play for us for a year, and next year you're going NBA, you're signing a first-year contract, and ricking in cash. But I think, as far as uh, our show goes, what's more fun than the Tennessee win over Alabama in which every single player and probably fan lit up a stogie, celebrated, and actually brought the goalpost not only out of the stadium, but threw it into the Tennessee River. God, I wish I was a Tennessee Volunteer fan. And would have been there. Yeah, uh, absolute electric game by both teams. Both teams played great. But not only an electric game, an electric celebration that cost $250,000. And you know what? For Tennessee, that's nothing. Yeah, uh, that was must-watch TV. Um, I'm sure the entire nation was tuning in because everyone loves to hate winners. I think it's been established that most people outside of uh, at least our Ohio country don't quite care for Alabama. That's what happens when you just get smoked. 
Um, you know what? Uh, we've been smoked. I don't hate Alabama. I respect Alabama. I respect, I respect Nick Saban and all that he's brought to the college game, both offensively, adjusting to the current defensive schematics. If you are someone out there that doesn't respect Nick Saban, then you don't appreciate football. You probably don't watch football. That true. So in the polls, you've got Georgia 1, Ohio State 2 now? Probably. Do we have that? I can pull it up real quick. Jamie? Tennessee 3. Yeah, Jamie hit that up. And I'd be totally in support of Tennessee going to 1 or 2. I mean, beating a Bama squad that really does not lose, especially to the the uh, SEC East in the past, what, 15 years? So our new top 10, going 10 up, Oregon, UCLA, TCU, Ole Miss, Alabama at 6, Clemson at 5, Michigan at 4, Tennessee at 3, OSU at 2, Georgia at 1. And again, those those top five are probably interchangeable. Of course, Ohio State and Michigan will play each other at, at the end of the year. I think Georgia Tennessee plays each other in two Couple weeks. Couple weeks, yeah. Yeah, which would be a huge matchup. I think in it's Georgia. in Georgia. Yeah. Um, but it's good to see a new team in the top five or top six. Like, I think over the past five six years, it's been Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson. Georgia, the same old shit. So for a Tennessee team whose fan base has suffered for a long time to finally beat Alabama and now be a legitimate title contender, I'm all for it. And I think the college game is better for it, of course. Oh, yeah. It's definitely a, a testament to college football in general showing that, hey, there's really like – any team can show up at any given year. Like, again, Notre Dame was top five last year. They're not even ranked. Tennessee was maybe in the top 25 last year. They're number two or number three, sorry. It, college football is just so crazy with that, and I absolutely love it. Yeah, this is the, uh, I guess the Tennessee. This was the most points allowed from Alabama since 1907 against like Seawinville I can't even call it a university at that point <laughs> Seawinville Community College who knows <laughs> yeah I think my great great uncle actually played for them <laughs> and scored two touchdowns against Alabama indeed uh, how about a nice wrap up of the week do we have a close but no cigar nomination that we do. Patrick Mahomes game securing interception. Now, I tell you what. I think not just me, but pretty much everybody watching, when the Bills gave Casey the ball back with, what, 55 seconds left? Give or take. Yeah. We all thought, of course, Patty Mahomes throws two balls to Kelsey, gets the ball downfield, calls timeout, kicks a game-winning field goal. It's obvious. It always happens. And suddenly, that didn't quite go as planned. Uh, yeah, a uh, guy that's over 50% in game-winning drives in the fourth quarter or overtime, you really don't expect to see that. Uh, just, again, shows to the testament of 
the defenses are just getting better and scheming for these great players. So, yeah, that is our close but no cigar. But now we go into everybody's favorite segment. Bum of the week. Sleeper of the week. Oh, I forgot about sleep. How did I forget about sleeper? Yeah. I lost last week by a score of, let me pull it up, 81.34 to 74.46. A close, close loss. but no cigar. That might qualify. I thought I had it, but then officially uh, Kenneth Walker Jr. or the third or the fourth, whatever the fuck his name is, <laughs> really pushed over for you. So I'm down two again, of course. Four and two over here. Yeah, it hurts. Getting but, uh, tased I is going to uh, hurt more. You know what? I'm, I'm all for it. It's all about the content, you know? Oh, yeah. All about the content. Let's draft. This week at quarterback, who do you got? Derek Carr. Do you want to expand on that? He's a freaking animal. <laughs> and he's going to be an absolute stud this week. I'm going Danny Dimes. The quarterback of the 5-1 and one New York football giants. Somehow, he's rushing the ball. He's That's throwing to it. a wide receiving core that I think me and Cam could probably play for. He has nobody, like, like a legitimate threat. But he's the quarterback, I think, 13 or 14 right now. I'm, I'm going all in. I got to take some risks. You know, I'm down two. Yeah, it's time, right? I'm all in on Danny Dimes. This and week. your first running back. Damian Pierce, a guy that I think everybody thought preseason would make a significant impact come week seven, week eight, week nine. And he's been making his impact since, what, week three? Yeah, pretty much came in early. Um, really talented rookie, even though for a bad team. I think he's totally taken over in Houston. Again, give me 15, 18, 20 carries, 80, 90 yards, maybe a score. I'll take that. My RB1, Devin Singletary, Buffalo Bills. So a team that doesn't run the ball at all. But he catches the ball, and at the end of the day, that gets you more fantasy points. Nine catches for 60 yards? Uh, Nine catches for 15 yards. That's good for me. We'll take that. My RB2, a guy that's shown that he's, I guess, taking over in all of their losses, Travis Etienne. A guy that I was totally in on in every single fantasy draft I had. Um, Cam made the point that they have not won at all since Travis Etienne made the RB1 role, which is true. I don't think they have any rushing touchdowns since then either. No, Etienne does not, that's for sure. So, uh, at some point, he's going to punch it in the end zone. At some point, maybe he gets relieved of the RB1 role. I don't know, but I'm hoping that he's the punch it in the end zone this week. My RB2, and I can't believe it, I'm even saying this guy's name. And I'm embarrassed to even say I drafted this guy in the first and or second round. Uh, first round. Every time. Generally first round. Najee Harris. A guy I thought, just based on volume, would put up 20 points a game. Turns out, no, he sucks cock. 
He's getting no receiving yards, no no targets. His rush yards per attempt is like what one point three. Oh, he's over one now. Oh, that that'd be a great benefit for me. <laughs> he'll probably yeah. he'll probably rush the ball fifteen times for two and a half yards. Complete swing and a miss. I knew that O line was bad, but again, I thought that the overall volume would would make up for that. But turns out, again, I was wrong. Swing and a miss. And wide receiver one. Well, I thought maybe I could I could touch on the fact that I would just please have some hope for an RB1 to maybe finally have a good game for me. I was trying to stop you from getting your hopes up. Ah, you know what? I, I appreciate that. Obviously not. Wide out one. What do you got? <laughs> I'm going Alan Lazard. He's a bum. He's always been a bum. He always will be a bum. Randall Cobb going out. Alan Lazard's Doesn't the guy matter. that's trusted to Aaron Rodgers. He just, he's not, though. And he is. I think Rodgers he's getting, officially, personally hates Alan Lazard. He's getting nine targets a game. All he's got to do is catch six, seven of those for yeah, 60 he, yards and a catching. score. He's catching two of those. He went nine for nine last game. That's a fluke. No, it's not. Alan Lazard, wide out one. What's your got? Nothing better, that's for sure. A guy off a great week. I'm going Brandon Ayuk. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be a hater, bro. I'm going to make fart noises at the rest of your picks. Ayuk caught uh, nine targets for 90 yards, two scores. Don't count on that ever again. Of course, I, I don't count on that. I think the the Niners probably run the ball a lot more than they did last week, which for some reason, like, I guess the Falcons defense, they handed the ball off like 11 times. Very odd. But hopefully, Jimmy GQ throws the ball to, to uh, fuck, what's his name? Brandon Ayuk. I forget which, uh, which Niner I got. Ayuk, of course. I don't know. I don't, I don't care anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm calling long shots. Please, God. Give me your wideout, too, or your flex or whatever. That old-fashioned was a little stronger than you thought, huh? I wish it was a lot stronger. <laughs> I don't think that'd be good for the show. You're taking Jonathan Taylor at tight end. <laughs> Uh, my wideout, too, is somebody who proclaims himself as a top three wideout in the league, Chase Claypool. You're not taking that. I am. After a good week with him and Mitchie Biscuits showed that they have that chemistry now. It only took Mitchie Biscuits getting benched. Claypool looked good. And He's not going to throw. He, you got you got Kenny Pickett <laughs> can't playing. run the ball. Kenny Pickett's not playing. Guaranteed. Concussion. <laughs> hey, we, we got the Dolphin spotter. Kenny Pickett's good to go. <laughs> Throw the ball out there. <laughs> sit, sit Chase Claypool. What? Throw to uh, Pickens <laughs> and Deontay Johnson. Anybody, please God, except Chase Claypool. Uh, you're just... Trying to vouch for your guy that you picked a wide out to. Hey, Mike Tomlin, man. I know, I know you're out there. I know you're listening <laughs> to, of course, the Sports of Stogies podcast. Please, God, don't scheme for uh, for Chase Claypool this week. <laughs> and you're saying that because you have George Pickens at your wide out too. Yeah, I do indeed. Um, I wish I would have known your pick first. That could have came in handy. <laughs> But here's, uh, hey, seriously though, I think Pickens is a much better athlete. <laughs> <laughs> Don't laugh. Why are you laughing? I think Pickens is a way better athlete. 
<laughs> I think he gets open much more frequently. Yeah, but who's going to look to him to throw the ball when you got Chase Claypool <laughs> wide open right there in the middle of the field? No, 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 no. Chase Claypool is getting locked in. Dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is very, very unprofessional. You um, are hammered. Yeah, you are too, bud. No, I'm <laughs> Your not. tight end, who you got? Uh, my tight end, I'm taking Dawson Knox. Bob. <laughs> Uh, no, it's a guy that's going to be seeing the end zone after a very athletic touchdown against the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. Can I quote you on that? Yes. Two scores. Two scores? Two of them. Well, I got three scores. Four. <laughs> I, I don't know his first name. I think it's Will. We're going to Will of Disley Where's in he Seattle. Playing? Oh, he still plays in Seattle? He's in Seattle. Oh, my God. They're running... No offense, and Disley. Yeah, you know what? Geno Smith loves this guy in the locker room. Uh, <laughs> they got a great locker room. <laughs> Not on the field. No, I'm they got a sure great. Noah they Font. got a great connection. I'm pretty sure Noah Font's outperforming him. Who? <laughs> you can look it up. I know you're not riding off a of Seattle Seahawks right now. I, I already did. I'm, <laughs> well, I'm they're not riding back. Will of Disley for a big week against. I don't know who they're playing. Probably a dog shit defense. <laughs> you know what? They're probably on by because I did no research. Oh, man. Yeah, if you guys want to see me get tased, it's probably going to happen come uh, week, what, 16, 17? Something like that. Yeah. Let's just fast forward on to, uh, let's forget about sleepers. Oh, we got to oh. talk flex. What? We still have the flex position. Yeah, I got the... Uh, go ahead and take it. I don't even care anymore. I got Daryl Henderson Jr. Jamal Williams. <laughs> <laughs> Running back in Detroit. <laughs> I think can they... I mean, uh, DeAndre Swift will be coming back. Probably not to his full carry extent. And Jamal's been pretty good so far. So I think with that great line. At least in the red zone he has been. Oh, uh, yeah. Please give him the ball. I mean, as far as my fantasy team goes, I <laughs> give it to DeAndre. But, yeah, I think DeAndre gets uh, 15, 18 carries. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. And, again, just please, if you're listening, please, God, help me out. I, I, I need a win right here. You guys will find out why. Coming up right now in Bum of the Week. Possible. Take it away. Your flex, please. Give it to me. I said Daryl Henderson. Yeah, but expand on that. He's the RB1 in uh, Los Angeles. Yeah, but they're terrible. But he's not. I think we could both play O-line for that team. I think so far we've been able to play a position on every team we've named. So, so we're just super athletes. Bone of the week? I got... This might come as a shock to everybody out there. I'm not shocked. Thursday night football as a whole. Holy Christ. I've watched so many quarters of horrible football on both Thursday, Monday, and Sunday night, but especially Thursday. Thank God I've been getting paid for it, but I don't want to watch anymore. What do we have next? Like uh, Saints, uh, Cardinals this Thursday? I believe so. That should be better at least, please God. The Red Rifle, Andy Dalton against uh, Kyler Murray. It should be watchable at least. 
But Cam, why have you been so down on Thursday night football? Because it sucks. Care to expand on that? It hasn't even been defensive showcases. It's been just horrible football on both sides of the field. Especially the Bears. (laughs) So you don't want to watch Bears-Pats on next Monday? No. I don't want to watch Bears football at all. With Bailey Zappi under center? I don't mind Bailey Zappi under center. He's showing he's good. He's look great. But the Bears suck, and I do not want to watch another Bears game for the rest of my life. No, you, you'd love to watch Justin Fields and that great offensive scheme. Oh, yeah, that stops them in the inside the two-yard line on first and goal for three times in one game. Yeah, speaking of things that are hard to watch, my first bum of the week, the Seattle Mariners. Offense. I watched 18 innings. Of scoreless baseball. And look, I love a great pitching duel. I love that. But not 18 innings of it. But 18 innings. Thank God I was not there on my feet the entire time to not score a single run. At what point would you sit down? Am I sober? Yeah. You've sobered up by time 18 innings. Second inning. (laughs) Maybe maybe the first inning. Holy Christ. Look, again, the bullpen's I mean, the Astros' bullpen is, is solid. Don't get me wrong, but eight t- two games worth to not score one run, and I watched the entire thing. And they had, what, eight or nine hits? Yeah, but even then, over nine, over 18 innings, like, that's it's not really, great. That's not well, good. Well, they only got two hits and extras, so. Yeah, that was, that was tough. I just I want to give up on this. Sports and really just <laughs> life in general. You look like you're ready for bed. I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> no, Your you're second not. bum of the week. My second bum of the week is Cooper Rush and his 16 interceptions against okay, the Philadelphia that's, Eagles. That's harsh. <laughs> Do you want me to really actually kill myself? <laughs> no. Absolutely not. So why is he your bum of the week? <laughs> because he was bum of the week. I think he had the worst QB performance out of everybody. Expand. Um three interceptions they showed that hey if Cooper Rush needs to throw the ball he's gonna throw it to the other team I don't think I need to expand anymore so there was no other bums out there this not week? that bad well, well I, got, I got one of them <laughs> yeah it's pretty bad yeah I wish I could pick Cooper Rush but unfortunately I have to pick myself Austin Hayes bum of the week for going 0-4 in fantasy for the third straight week in a row. And what, 0-6 on Thursday Night Football I, now? I've, I've stopped counting. <laughs> it's not even fun. <laughs> I'm like 0-6, 1-5, and 2-4. and 4. I, I know league-wide fantasy scoring is down like 22%, but I swear to God, down 75%. I'm down at least 95%. <laughs> I'm going to start Greg the Torch Dorch just for <laughs> the hell of it. Why not? Uh, Can I trade for your third best running back for uh, my kicker? I am down a kicker this week. Well, you know what? You got one in me. <laughs> you got a kicker in me. <laughs> you got a kicker in me. Please, God, I, I just I don't even want to play anymore. No, there's time for a turnaround. I mean, is it really, though? We're six weeks in. Yeah, you got time. 
to at least not be last. Yeah, if Najee decides he wants to stop sucking cock and like actually play <laughs> football, that'd be great. <laughs> oh, man. What a fun show. I was so, again, bum of the year. I was so, so heavy on Allen Robinson. I thought, oh, round six, that's a steal. He'll be a top ten guy. No. Stafford does not even look at him. I don't think Stafford even knows the guy's name. He did last week. Nah, that's that's a fluke. Hey, maybe it's an upswing for Allen Robinson. Not a chance. You can have him. What do you want for him? <laughs> uh, your backup kicker? <laughs> maybe just a cheeseburger. That works. That's a deal. But you got to cook the cheeseburger. Nah, shit. <laughs> I think that wraps up Sports and Stokies episode fuck, seven. I don't know, seven. Whatever. I'm, I'm so demoralized. Hey, but overall, love the show. Love bringing this to you guys. It's a lot of fun, even with my drunken stupor. No, not it's not drunk. I wish I was drunk. It's the overall failure in general. <laughs> you know, I thought recording this, I'd like maybe give you guys some info, some info, <laughs> some insight, some good fantasy picks. Turns out, no, I know nothing. <laughs> so please, God, don't this this. Stop listening, honestly. Don't do that. No, don't do not do that. Please send a donation to me. <laughs> so, I can, so I can afford rent. Send him your fantasy teams. <laughs> it, that's a challenge. Do you guys have a worse fantasy team <laughs> than me? I doubt it. Honestly, I, I would challenge you to send in your starting lineup that would honestly be worse than I have. And the worst part is, like, me and Cam leaving our draft, oh, we were laughing. We were like, oh, these guys suck. We totally destroyed these guys. And now me and Cam combined in that league are 1-11. Uh, something like that, yeah. Yeah, I think it's exact. Yeah, so, you know, just have fun. Just have fun. Because that, at the end of the day, is what it's in, all about. Hands in a one, two, three. Just have fun. One, two, three. Just have fun. Every Thursday at noon, come back and at you. And I just, I might not be here, honestly. <laughs> it might just be a cam show. Again, thank you, everybody, for always tuning in. Uh, do us a big favor and leave ratings on our channels on your respective platforms. Um, we have a blast doing this show for you guys. At the end of the day, we do it for you. Um, anything you want to hear, anything you want us to touch on, please let us know. The email at uh, sportsandstogies at gmail.com. All of our socials, you know it already. We will see you guys next Thursday.